Yeah, good evening and welcome to Tuesday's Richie Allen Show, October 3rd, 2023. I'm Richie Allen, as usual, broadcasting live from BBG Towers in the heart of Salford. Nice to be with you. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Now, Leisha De Bruyne is the founding member of The Countess. You can find them at thecountess.ie. It's a group of men and women with a mission to, pr- to promote and protect the best interests of the women and children of Ireland. She gave a fantastic speech at Ireland Uncensored a couple of weeks ago on the hate speech bill progressing through the Irish Houses of Parliament. Now, if this becomes law, it could see somebody jailed for possessing material likely to incite hatred, whatever the intentions of that person. This is very serious. Leisha de Bruyne joins the programme this hour. In fact, I spoke to her a little bit earlier on. And later on, Matt Letizier, Premier League legend, Southampton legend, as the first midfielder to score 100 Premier League goals, routinely won the BBC Goal of the Month competition, England international, Sky Pundit, absolutely top bloke. I can't wait to, to meet him, in fact. He had an interesting last couple of years, to say the least. We'll talk about that, and also a recent role undertaken by Matt. He's ambassador for a CBD oil brand. So lots to get into today, and as usual, if you'd like to opine yourself, you may do so. Leave a message via my app, the Richie Allen Show app, or richieallen.co.uk. Comment live, I'd love to hear from you. But first, to an email from Chris Springett. Hi Chris. Chris, I'm glad I saw this, because I'm not bragging now. I'm not actually. The programme does get an avalanche of emails every day. One of the reasons for this, it's quite funny, is people listen to the podcast of the live show. And when they listen to the podcast of the live show, they forget that it isn't live. And they send messages through. So a lot of messages come through, but I'm glad I saw yours. Now, Chris wrote to his MP... Gary Streeter, Sir Gary, if you please, MP for South West Devon. And he writes, does Chris, um, dear Sir Gary Streeter, as my elected representative, I am assuming you will have the decency and commitment to me and fellow constituents to attend and honestly partake and debate the excess death subject due to be discussed on the 20th of October 2023. If you are not attending, I wish you to explain your reasoning for non-attendance for what is becoming the elephant in the room in light of statistics relating to heart issues since 2021. And then he writes, Yours, I, A-Y-E, Chris Springer. Now this is Andrew Bridgen, who's managed to get enough interest. Uh, Bridgen has got something to do with it. I don't think it's exclusively Bridgen's idea. But a debate has been scheduled for the House of Commons on October 20th, which is 17 days from now, to discuss the inflated excess death figures for the country. Why are so many people, more people than normal, dying now? Why? It's a good question. So uh, Sir Gary Streeter MP was asked by our listener Chris, will you be going? The response was, dear Mr Springett, thank you for your email. 
I will not be attending this debate. All of this has been very extensively investigated by appropriate experts, and it is unhelpful for people to seek to make political points based on blind prejudice. Yours sincerely, Gary Streeter. Wow, what an arse Gary Streeter is. What an arse. Gary doesn't care, does he? What political point was his constituent Chris Springett making? None. He just asked him, will you be attending because, you know, excess death statistics are very serious. Will you be attending to try and get to the bottom of it, Sir Gary Streeter? No, thank off, Chris. You, you mad conspiracy theorist, if you read between the lines. Thanks for that, Chris. Gary doesn't care. The Conservative Party conference continues in Manchester. The former Home Secretary, Priti Patel, was filmed sharing the karaoke mic with Nigel Farage. I've told you. I've been telling you since 2009. They're all in it together. Hanging around like a bad smell in Manchester, Nigel Farage. Speaking of arses. Now, Nigel is a former member of the Tories. Come back? Question mark? Maybe. Nigel to run for a seat for the Tories? Maybe. Maybe Nigel to reapply for membership of the Conservative Party and then be given a run at a safe seat, maybe? And then Keir Starmer forms the next government and Nigel is urged to run for the leadership of the Tories? Stranger things have happened. You never know. Which song was uh, Patel and Farage singing? What song were they singing? I've no idea. I, I can't remember. So, a bloke last Friday. A bloke. Sheffield Wednesday. Hillsborough were home to Sunderland AFC and a Sheffield Wednesday fan called Dale Horton. He's 31 from Rotherham. Why doesn't he follow Rotherham? Anyway, that's the least of his problems. He's been charged with a public order offence because he was arrested over the weekend. And what he did was he held up a phone with an image of young Bradley Lowry and he did this to taunt the opposition fans, the Sunderland fans. Now, Bradley Lowry... Uh, died obviously a very young lad of an incurable illness, a very rare illness, and that's a terribly sad thing. Of course it is. He befriended Jermaine Defoe, didn't he, the young lad? God love him. Now Bradley's mum, Gemma, was on LBC Radio with Nick Ferrari today to discuss this. Yeah, it's just, it's really sad that somebody would use a little boy to taunt Sunderland fans. It's pathetic, isn't it? Um, I think he hasn't realised the consequences it's had on myself and my family. Um, it's been really upsetting time, but again, the, the good that's come out of this is incredible because the rest of the fans and the football community have really pulled together um, and shown that what the football community is really like. Yeah, there's quite a bit of virtue signalling going on, Gemma. There is that. You say what it's put you and your family through, if I may call you Gemma. What is it, Gemma? What have you had to endure? It's just a mixture of emotions. Um, a lot of awful memories coming back up because when Bradley was poorly, there was a lot of trolling on social media. Um, and it just brings back bad memories. And I don't want my little boy shown in a negative light. I want to keep the positivity that he's shown every but he, but he couldn't be shown in a negative light. He was a proper little trooper, right up till the end. Brave as, as anything. Raised loads of money for charity. Brought a smile to many people's faces. Made a lot of us think, Jesus, we think we have trouble. 
he was a great kid. No one guy with a mobile phone and an image could undo uh, the joy that that kid brought to so many people. I would, I would argue. Every single day. We've done some research. The man who was showing pictures of your late son could get six months in jail. You what now? He could go to jail? Fortunately, that's the maximum. It seems pitifully low. Pitifully low, says Nick Ferrari. Pitifully low. A dipstick stands in a, on a terrace with a mobile phone photograph of a boy grinning like an idiot. That's what he did, basically. And you want him to go to jail? Six months is not enough? Do you think he should go to jail, Gemma? I don't really want to comment on that because I don't feel like that's something that um, that's up to me. I feel Leave it up to the judge, says Gemma. Wow. Over on Talk Radio, Julia Hartley Brewer. What about it? I think it's horrible. I think it's in bad taste. Any, any human being who, who wants to use the, an image of a child that has died of cancer as, as a taunt in a football match is a despicable human being. He's an idiot, all right. You know what? If he was here right now, I'd spit on him. You'd what? You'd spit on him. You'd spit on him because he held up a phone with an image of a boy and he laughed. You'd actually spit on him, like. I would. I'd spit on him. You'd I, spit on him. I think he'd be hounded out of polite society. I wouldn't want to sit... Hounded out of society. Sit next to him at work. I wouldn't want to... Do you know who she hangs out with, Julia Hartley Brewer? She hangs out with war criminals and mass murderers. She hangs out with people like David Cameron. Just look at Libya. Honest to God, like, this dipstick, right, who should have gotten a flick around the ear from the guy standing next to him, an absolute moron, the photograph, fair enough, he is a dipstick, right, but hound him out of polite society, spit on him, yet Julia will be rubbing shoulders with Tony Blair this weekend, probably, and his ilk, wow. I want to want to be in a relationship with him, if he was a close family member, I would say i I disown you. She'd disown him if he was a close family member. But a criminal record, that's the bit I thats the bit I balk at. Ah, but she balks at the criminal record. Well, thank heavens for that. Do you know, I, I, I know one or two of our listeners, dear listener, I'm speaking to you. One or two of um, our listeners will be shaking their head, wondering why is Richie discussing this? Because this is mad. And this is where they're taking society. Later on, we'll be talking to a football legend who was very watchable on Soccer Saturday of a Saturday afternoon. You know, I, you know I love footy. You know I love it. I'm consumed by it, sadly, even as a 48-year-old man. And he was hounded out of his job because he, you know, asked whether or not they should be wearing Black Lives Matter badges. And because he asked whether or not vaccines might be, you know, m- might, might not be the right thing. Maybe lockdowns weren't the right thing. This is where it's going. Do you know this man, this Egypt, who held up the photograph of the young boy? has been fired by his company. And the Daily Mail is reporting is that his local pubs will refuse to serve him. I mean, WTF, question mark, question mark, question mark. Julie Hartley Brewer would spit on him. But yet she'll be having um, brunch with George Osborne soon enough. A criminal, if ever there was one. It's mad, isn't it, this world we live in? Now, later on today... No, sorry, sorry. He's already done it. What's wrong with me? Uh, Stephen Barclay, the health secretary, has announced the trans women will be banned from female hospital wards. He's told the Conservative Party conference in Manchester that he wants to push back against wokery in the health service, right? Now, the changes he wants to introduce would give men and women the right to be cared for on wards only shared by people of their own biological sex and to have intimate care provided 
by those of the same sex. Barclay said the plan would mean the return of common sense approach to sex and equality. He wants women's dignity to be protected and women's voices heard. Good man, if he means it. Um, Concerns from patients and staff. We've heard them about biological men allowed on women's hospital wards. In 2021, you might remember, NHS guidance changed and said that trans patients could be placed on single-sex wards on the basis of the gender with which they identified. So he said, no, no more, no more blokes on women's wards, no more tallywhackers on women's wards, and stonewall the LGBTQ++ IA whatever. A charity isn't happy. It's humiliating and dangerous for trans women, said Stonewall. Hmm. As the director of advocacy for sex matters is Helen Joyce. Here she is speaking to Julia Hartley Brewer, funnily enough. That's what happened within Stonewall when they adopted this policy of gender self-ID. Everybody sensible left. Only complete trans activist extremists joined. And now that organisation is dedicated to destroying sex-based rights. And when you think sexual orientation depends on recognising what sex is, I would say Stonewall works directly opposite to its mandate now to destroy the rights of the people it was set up to support. And the cheek of them talking about female-specific healthcare needs <laughs> when they don't even know what female means. I mean, honestly, get that word out of your mouth. Get that word out of your mouths. They don't even know what female means. Well done. Michelle says Richie Gary Streeter is a career politician. They all are, Michelle. Well said. Be natted for years while working as a waitress as a teenager. I once dropped ice cream in his lap while serving him. I wasn't sorry, says Michelle. Michelle, he was probably delighted. You know what politicians are like. Simon says, hi Simon, this is Polish Simon. Get back to your own country, Simon. He says, I'm on my way home from work, enjoying another of your shows, he says. Thank you, Simon. That's um, that's an in-joke, that. An in-house joke. I don't mean the Poles should get back to their own country. Only the ones on my street. Baz says, Richie, some NHS trusts are mandating masks for the administration staff again. The madness is ramping up again within the NHS. That's right, I reported on this myself on richieallen.co.uk today. In Leicester, some hospitals are saying, mask up, bejesus, mask up, they're saying. Mimi says, Richie, I was in Cornwall last week. Beautiful place with extended family. All normies except me and my kids. My aunt said she had an appointment for the jab. I begged her not to go. My parents are sadly both gone. They would never have had it, Richie, says Mimi. Thank you, Mimi. Davy says, brand new to the show. He says, says Davy, I have been a listener of the free media for over 10 years now, so I'm really late to find you, says Davy. Really glad I did, he says. The show is brilliant. Thank you, Davy. Fivers in the post, I really appreciate you. Now it's 14 and a half minutes past the hour. I haven't managed to record any audio, so I'm going to try and grab some from Twitter. Uh, your, your woman, Suella Braverman, your one, as we say back home in Ireland, the Home Secretary, has been giving a an address to the Tory party conference. And it hasn't gone down well in Wokeland. She's been talking about immigration. And she's been speaking about it in terms that um, are most displeasing for those who, well... I suppose, would consider themselves liberals. Let's have a listen to what Suella Braverman said. This is a short time ago. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, but as Home Secretary, I do occasionally receive a modicum of criticism. (laughs) Sometimes I'm asked if I ever read what my critics say about me. Well, the answer is yes, I do. 
I'm made of strong stuff, so I'm prepared to wade through the personal abuse, the wild invective and the willful misrepresentation. Because I believe that all of us should strive for improvement. And if we close our ears to anyone who disagrees with us, we're less likely to identify our mistakes. One of the reasons why the Conservative Party has survived and thrived for so long is because we are not afraid to admit when we get it wrong and adapt accordingly. We listen, we learn, and we renew ourselves. And that's what we're doing here this week in Manchester. We're raising our game. Because next year... I should have pre-listened to this, but I'm, I'm on the fly here. Let's skip on a bit. She's supposed to com compare mass migration to a hurricane. She's being accused of dog whistling. Let's skip on a little bit. I want you to hear this. In Westminster, who live in the bubble of complacency. I also think most British people have a pretty good sense of how they expect their government to respond to those challenges. And I'm confident that when push comes to shove, the voters will realise that they are much more likely to get the change they really want from Rishi Sunak and the Conservatives than from any of the left-wing parties. Yeah, nonsense. Hang on a sec. The option of moving from a poorer country to a richer one is not just a dream. Yeah, I'll tell you what's happened there. I'm on Talk TV's Twitter account and it claims this clip talks about the hurricane that is coming but it obviously doesn't right they're doing it on the fly as well but she's being accused of a dog whistle today saying that her parents came across with the wind of change to the UK and that is a gust compared to the hurricane that is coming she's talking about mass migration the migrants coming in won't be taking their jobs she said they're more likely to have them mowing their lawns or cleaning their homes so she's talking about the well, she was talking about people like Elton John, wasn't she? Wealthy commentators who are all um, for, not all for mass migration, but they accuse those who are concerned about the impacts of mass immigration of being xenophobic or being racist. Braverman is saying, well, those very well-off people, immigration won't impact them because the migrants coming in will be in their kitchens, cleaning their homes or mowing their lawns, but they'll be taking jobs from people in lower socioeconomic areas and that kind of thing. That's what Braverman is saying, and she's being accused of a dog whistle. Right, very quick break, back in a moment, and uh, we'll be playing the conversation I had earlier on with Alicia De Bruyne. This is the Richie Allen Show, and it's Tuesday's edition. Your body's defences are under constant attack from flu, respiratory diseases and the common cold. Now more than ever, it is essential that you have a robust immune system. And as we all know, vitamin D3 plays an essential role in this. Immunex 365 is our unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. This unique combination of nutrients ensures efficient bioavailability of D3 thereby giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. For your peace of mind, all NutriHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Go to NutriHealth365.com to get yours now. That's NutriHealth365.com. 
Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. And it's good to have you on board as always. Now, um, earlier on, I spoke with Leisha De Bruyne. She's a barrister, an Irish lady, recently called to the bar, and she's the founding member of The Countess. Now, The Countess can be found online at thecountess.ie. It's a group of men and women who want to promote and protect the best interests of the women and children of Ireland. Um, This was a cherished ideal of the founders of the Irish state, including Countess Markovich, which which is, of course, how they got their name. Uh, Markovich was a minister in the first Doyle and the first female cabinet minister in Europe. Now, one of the chief aims or the primary aims of the Countess, is to reinstate the medical model for people who wish to change their gender. And as I said, Leisha de Bruyne gave a terrific speech at Ireland Uncensored a couple of weeks ago on the hate speech legislation going through the Irish Houses of Parliament. It's in the Senate or the Shannon right now. Now, if this becomes law, it could see somebody jailed for a couple of years for possessing material likely to incite hatred, whatever the person's intention really is. And that might, of course, impact a group like the Countess who want to protect the rights of women. Real women, biological women, if you get me. So I got up with uh, Leisha earlier on. The first question I asked her was, I said to her, Leisha, tell me this, where exactly is the hate speech legislation uh, in the Irish um, Parliament now? Where is it? What what stage is it at? And this is what she had to say. Um, well, I must say that initially, uh, towards the end of, um, you know, before recess there at the beginning of the summer, we had kind of our fingers, you know, uh, cross behind our backs hoping it was going to be kicked into the long grass but it does appear sadly that um, our Minister for Justice Helen McEntee is very keen to bring this forward she sees it as her baby and it possibly will um, you know be made law and be enacted um, but it is I have to say and it may sound very um, OTT but it certainly is um, the most authoritarian and totalitarian in its um, scope and effects and impacts uh, really of any liberal democracy in the world today. I mean, it's an extraordinary piece of legislation. Um, just in a broad brushstroke sense, it completely tramples on two fundamental pillars of any liberal democracy in the world, one of them being the presumption of innocence. Uh, you, it'll no longer be up to you to prove, uh, no longer be up to the state, rather, to prove that you're guilty. It'll be up to you to prove that you're innocent. And furthermore, um, there is also um, inside the uh, provision which basically makes thought crime or pre-crime um, an offence. So therefore, possession is enough. You know, you don't even have to have actually caused or incited hatred. So it is an extraordinary piece of legislation that really changes the threshold and the paradigm with regard to criminal proceedings in our country. Now, the government... Um, the, and really, sorry, Lisa, the government says, look, um, we want to protect minorities. I think when McEntee published the bill... She said, and I quote, we are all horrified when we hear of homophobic, racist and other hateful incidents in our country. We want to defend people from harassment, threats and abuse. But you're saying it doesn't do that. It goes much further than what it claims to be. Is that what you're telling us? Um, I mean, I'm not going to argue with sort of the the best intentions, but, um, you know, of of our legislators. Uh, Like, it's just what I see are unintended consequences of this. And, you know, the main one would be, you know, when our 
1916 proclamation was written and when our this Republic of Ours was founded, it was about equal rights and equality before the law. And that was the vision for the Republic. And it's my view that we're moving to a model of a hierarchy of rights, that special groups have special rights. And I don't think that can be a good thing. Um, and with regard to our own organisation, we advocate for women and children, but specifically with regard to, to highlighting the impact of gender ideology, or you can call it trans ideology, on women and children and gay young people. And we feel quite strongly that, you know, what our society needs in Ireland is a, but um, what is happening already on the ground in real life, you know, at the school gates and in the pubs and in the shops, is a bona fides, and by that I mean just a goodwill, a well-intentioned um, conversation about the issues, about the conflict of rights. And there were obvious issues with allowing any man who wants to identify into a female-only space. And that conversation is happening, and it would be a shame to a politicize it and b to offer protection to only one side of the conversation. So if you can imagine that there's a, a debate. And the debate is, you know, needs to happen in order for us to work this through as a society. And one side are women like myself and increasingly more and more men and people of all kind of backgrounds, and demographics who who feel, you know, that who who know, shall we say, that it's not possible to change your sex and a man cannot become a woman, a woman, that there are only two sex and sex is immutable and binary. And the other side of that um, conversation or debate or discussion are trans identified people and their allies and they believe that trans women are women and that it is possible to change your sex and a trans woman is actually a woman not a biological man now that conversation has to be had but only one side of this conversation is afforded special status under the legislation so they are they come under the umbrella of a special characteristic um, and therefore they are allowed um essentially say what is hate speech now i can tell you that you know, my conversation today with you or anything on our website, anything on our YouTube channel, any any placard or pamphlet that we, you know, give to um, people all across Ireland when we do our info stalls and we're very, very popular all across Ireland. And people are only delighted to learn more about these issues and to feel empowered to discuss them in real life. But all of that would come under the definition of hate crime because one of those parties in that now protected um, characteristic group could, could go to the police and say, you know, I think I feel like that was a, um, a hate crime or hate speech. And so then, unfortunately, clear. then you have another unintended consequences where Angarda Siakon in Ireland will become politicised. And this, these types of laws have and will be used as a tool of harassment against gender critical people like myself and I dare say nine out of ten people in Ireland. So to be clear on this, and this is really interesting, if the bill eventually becomes law, the conversation you and I are having where you because you believe implicitly that we cannot change our biological sex that could be taken as hate speech as possessing material that's likely to incite hatred because when you mentioned thought crime earlier on the reason i'm not arguing with you on that point is i've looked through the draft legislation and it is pretty worrying um possessing material likely to incite hatred that could mean nothing more than, as you said, sharing an interview that you did where you expressed an opinion. That could give you two years jail time in theory. So just these conversations where you don't hate anybody, you don't sound very hateful. I don't either. I'm interested in who you are and your group. That could land you in the soup effectively if the bill becomes law. 
Yes, yeah, so and I think, um, you know, if we look at our neighbor, neighboring jurisdiction in the UK and Wales, um, the, these similar laws. So in that jurisdiction, it's kind of sprinkled throughout different statutes. You know, there's mis miscommunication statutes and various different laws, but it's the same. Um, ultimately, it's the same law. It's a hate speech law. And um, ordinary people have been interviewed, um, have been arrested in their homes and you know, kept in a police cell for eight hours, have been questioned, have been, have, have actually lost their cases at first instance, and then have had to appeal. You can imagine the amount of stress and trauma and cost that they are incurring in order to finally clear their names. And are these you people know, now, are these people who have been accused, because I have heard from one or two people on this programme who have gone through that, Caroline Farrell being one, but are these people who have just stated clearly that they do not believe that a man can become a woman just because he says he is. Yes, so generally they would they would be termed gender critical people, and all that means is it's someone who is critical of gender ideology or trans ideology. So, you know, someone like me who can see the obvious issues for women and for children, and who also just believes in material reality. Um, and science and and truth and you know doesn't think it's 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 um, helpful to society for people to say um, to pretend rather that you know that man because he puts on a dress and believes he's a woman has magically changed to become a biological woman. The but that what I've just said to you there now would be perceived as hate speech by any number of the you know um, lobby groups. It could be. You know, yeah. they, for, yeah. Now, the, the 2015 Act, we've got um, recently called to the bar, by the way, Alicia De Bruyne on the programme. It's great to have her on. The Countess, the Countess.ie, by the way, is the website you need to be on uh, to find out more about what her group is doing to protect the rights of women and girls in Ireland. Um, now, the 2015 Act in, in Ireland, which changed the medical requirement to a declaration, and you've talked about that extensively, and you put some examples, some good examples on your own website as to what that might lead to a woman, get, sorry, a man ending up on a women's wing in Limerick Prison, uh, a 40-something guy playing GAA with ladies, and school toilets being upgraded to include all genders, making the mixed sex. I've got to ask you this, and, and I mean this, how common are these things so the the prisoner ending up the, the bloke ending up in the women's wing um the guy playing for the gaa team you might say i don't want i certainly wouldn't dream of putting words in your mouth that once is enough but but how common is it because i'll have some listeners saying a bit of a storm in a teacup these are very rare incidents are they leisha well yes i mean i think that's a really good question i think that would be one of the arguments that sort of trans rights activists would generally run that this is just you know these are outliers and these are exceptions and you know we should we should still plow on with self-id but from our point of view like the moment that any man who wants to can and and in fact is able to identify into a female only space those female only spaces are de facto mixed sex because the point is that in society up until a moment ago, if a man were to walk into a female only space, there would be, you know, outcry and that it just wasn't, it just didn't happen. So I think that it's not, it's not that um, there are thousands of bogus gender recognition certificate holders in Ireland and they are swarming into all these spaces and services and places. It's that we are starting to see incrementally on the ground in Ireland, a paradigm shift. So, and this happens in a kind of diffuse way. And an example of that is, for example, 
pennies in Ireland, which is Primark in the UK, really popular with especially young teenage girls, you know, 13 year old girls. They have mixed sex changing rooms. And in the UK and in Ireland, men have been going in and putting their mobile phones underneath the curtains and uploading that footage onto Pornhub. That's one example. You know, apart from that as well, there has been because boundaries are being blurred. I myself was in Arnott's, which is a really kind of old school, august female department store in Dublin. Yeah. And they still do have female changing rooms. But while I was there putting on a, trying on a dress for my daughter's confirmation, a man was in the cubicle beside me. And I went out and said it to a number, member of staff. And the, the manager was, was brought into it. And she was incredible. And she said to me, she's this tiny little Spanish woman. She said, I do this every day. Every day a man goes in there. Now, even though they are female only. So my point being that when we legislate for what is essentially a central lie which says we'll give you this piece of paper and now you're now a woman for all purposes and that's the big thing to remember in terms of legislation it says for all purposes and we would view this as an access all area pass for predators and for chancers and for sports cheats and that's what we're now seeing so when we started our advocacy work three and a half years ago the only concrete example we could really give people was that there were three men in Limerick in the women's wing and that capacity of that of the women's wing is only 30. So it is still a quite a, it's an upset to the ecosystem there um, and to the women's lives there. And we now know because of the amazing work by Paddy O'Gorman, that journalist, that those men are on the ceiling, um, they're on the landing above, but they shout and scream very sexualized comments to the women all day long. So there's a, you know, there, there, there's a, there's a kind of an ongoing, um, damaging impact on women who after all are incredibly incredibly vulnerable and they have been really lifelong victims of male um violence themselves and that's what criminalists criminal criminologists would always say that female incarceration the pathway to female incarceration is male violence so that's one thing prisons but then the the idea that the lgfa in ireland against all kind of norms of due process and the way they typically would bring in new rules went really, it's fair to say, behind the backs of their members and the delegates and have now said that any boy over and play. So he just needs to apply to play if he identifies as a girl. And that is such a slap, you know, um, in the face really to all those women and girls who train so hard and who volunteer and give so much to that sport. So what we're seeing in Ireland is kind of at every level, there's an encroachment into female-only spaces and services. You know, only two weeks ago, a man who calls himself Shauna Kavanagh um, was in prison. Sorry, was it before the courts? Now he was convicted, but he got a suspended sentence. And he is, as I speak to you today, in the Doka Centre. The Doka Centre is the female prison, which is part of Manchoy, And it's where uh, mothers and babies will typically be housed. And they won't go to Limerick. So... That is, and it's, it's more open in, in plan than Limerick also. Now, he was put into a homeless shelter in Rathmines in Dublin, and he got involved in a fist fight with a woman. And because of his bulk and size and power as a biological man, he punched her and she went flying across the floor and he tore out clumps of hair out of her head. Now, this is... The has he been convicted? Impact. Has he been convicted of that, or are those allegations? Yes, he was convicted, but he got a suspended sentence, so he didn't actually get extra time. And he's now in Docus on other charges. And he identifies uh, he as a woman. He already was in prison because he um, had bottled a man in a outside a pub, and that man later died. So he's a so violent, violent criminal. These are the criminal. type of characters, exactly. And he these identifies as a woman. Who, and now he's on a yes. woman's wing. 
Yes, he's in Dokus where they house women and children, where they will house infants along with their mothers. And it's more of an open style plan um, arrangement than the women's wing in Limerick, which is more old, old school. Victorian Alicia, can I, can, I ask, can I ask you this? No better uh, person, no better woman. Imagine I said person to you. No better woman uh, to, <laughs> to answer this. Uh, it's ridiculous me saying that. Good, well saved. Well saved. I saved that in the nick of time. To tell me this then, as, as a barrister, where are the legal representatives of the women in that institution? Why are they not screaming bloody murder about it? Well, Good I have question, to say, right? Richie, one of the kind of um, most depressing lessons that we learned very early on in our advocacy as an organisation, um, you know, and we work really hard in the countess across eight different pillars, and one of them being prisons. And it was the one I think that made us, um, you know, kept us awake at night, really, when yet another man would be transferred into Limerick and just thinking of the lives of those women. Um, and I have to say, for me, I think it's very clear that this is part of the playbook. So if you can get society to accept men in women's prisons, then you can get society to accept anything. And I think it was a calculated move on the part of trans activists and the trans lobby globally, because I think that they counted on society not really caring about those women. And I think that has been sadly our experience, that there is very little advocacy for them in particular. And if anything, you know, we see along the lines of kind of um, the, the kind of modern or um, favoured ideas in kind of penal reform are more along um, gender free or, you know, they don't seem to want to look at the specific acute needs of female prisoners, which are, are completely different to male prisoners. You know, there's, there's really high rates of self-harm, largely because 85 percent of them are themselves mothers and their home life has been completely fractured because they are incarcerated. And, um, you know, 95% of female incarcerated women globally, this is Ireland and everywhere else, are non they're non-violent criminals. I mean, it's like crimes of, petty crimes related to addiction or coercive control relationships. So sad, sad, it is sad to say and to tell you that there is a, um, there is a lack of advocacy um, around them. And I hope that we, as an organization can, can help in some small way. I mean, we've always had legislative objectives. That's the path I've always sort of tried to steer the organization along because I feel like it's really important to move the dial rather than just scream into the void. You know, we've been doing this for three and a half years and we could do it for another three and a half years. But I am happy to say that I myself personally drafted legislation which will amend the Gender Recognition um, Act. And the way I've done it is it will limit the scope of the gender recognition certificate, which currently is for all purposes, as I said earlier, but will it will limit it so that it will no longer be attached to prisons. It won't change whether a prisoner is male or female for the purposes of the prison rules. And I, I'm happy to tell you today that we do have um, enough support from TDs in order to bring this to second stage. And so finally in Ireland, we'll have the debate on the floor of the doll that we never had in the first place, because I don't know if you're aware, but there was never actually um, a division. So there was never, they were never forced to vote on full self-ID in Ireland at the time in 2015. Kind of snuck in, didn't it? Absolutely, it completely did. I mean, initially what they did was actually the right thing, I think. Um, so they did convene a sort of joint Oireachtas um, advisory committee, you know, full of experts. Um, and and they, so that was kind of the correct way to, to deal with this, the need for this legislation. And what they um, 
advised on or what they suggested was the medical model. Now, the medical model has its own issues insofar as it does still say a man can become a woman uh, legally. However, at least there's some gatekeeping. You know, you do have to go before a panel of doctors and lawyers. It depends on the jurisdiction, but typically it's a panel of doctors and lawyers. You have to go before them for two years before you can actually acquire your gender recognition certificate. But in Ireland, we've gone, we've done away with any sort of uh, safeguarding whatsoever. I mean, full self-ID by definition means no safeguarding because anyone, even a man who is in the middle of criminal proceedings for rape or convicted of rape or a paedophile can fill out that form and it'll just be rubber, rubber stamped by the government. And I don't think any sane person can think that that can be good for society or good for women or children or, you know, can be what we want uh, no. for... for well, it's impossible to be devil's advocate here and make an argument in favour of it, um, which is my job, but I can't, so I'm not going to even attempt to do it. Leisha de Bruyne is on the programme. She's a barrister, recently called to the bar. Thecountess.ie is an important website. Women and children deserve privacy, dignity and safety. Uh, help them upheld these rights. Get on to thecountess.ie. And if, if we can just move slightly back to... Um, hate speech legislation. Of course, you know all about what's happening here because you have, um, you, you know, you have a foot in the UK as well. What what has concerned me from from day one really is the compelling of social, not social media, but the yeah social media companies. So whether it be Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, whether it be Twitter, that governments want to compel these companies to remove quote legal but harmful to put it in the hands of the big tech companies to determine that something you might say Alicia online um, while it might be legal it might harm somebody else if they encountered it therefore it must be taken down how do you feel about that um like i i i am at this um recent event that i spoke at ireland uncensored um i made a speech about our impending hate speech legislation and I, I was basically just dismantling the idea that any of this was completely um, a directive you know was 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 uh, mandated by the a European directive and I just compared the two things but um interestingly enough at that was um at that event Michael Schallenberger spoke he was the keynote and you know he has done a lot of work on this and so far as he's exposed the censorship that has been that is happening at the behest of these tech companies like essentially there's this cozy relationship you know that has now come about whereby left leaning governments um certainly in america the democrats or in ireland i mean we've yet to see exactly how this how you know no one has done his type of work of investigative journalism in ireland I'm referring here to the Twitter files, but you know that kind of coziness is never good for democracy. Like it's not good if we talk about legacy media, newspapers and radio and TV if they are too close to source, because the job of any media, be it social media or be it um, legacy media, is to hold power to account and ask those difficult questions and shine a light. And if we are now saying as a society and as liberal democracies that oh this you can have this opinion but you can't have this opinion. You know, and if and if and if legislatively or, you know, just in terms of what is becomes normal or what is normative, if that is kind of narrowed and narrowed down so that because we don't want to hurt the feelings of some people like I think that has to be we must be appalled by that yeah. because we should be able to deal with a whole plethora, a wide spectrum of opinions and a discordant sort of discourse. Yeah, I'm a good bit older than you. Discourse. Yeah. It shouldn't be. No, I was just going to say I'm a bit older than you, quite a bit older than you. And I remember 
you know, watching long-form debates and long-form interviews on Irish national television and on British national television, where people considered to be far right or far left were debated and challenged. And that was hugely important. It certainly shaped my the early part of my career. You know, in Ireland now, we've got a big thing at the moment about, about migration. I, I can't say for sure when I hear somebody criticising the government's migration policies. I don't know whether the person is motivated because of xenophobia or because they genuinely are concerned that services in their own parish are stretched and strained as it is and that by an influx of people coming into the area might make it difficult. But the fact is, people should be allowed to speak their mind, uh, Leisha, and we should be able to challenge them openly and ask them to explain themselves and to put a bit more meat on the bones and that's going out the window, I think, at the moment. Not just in Ireland and in the UK, but everywhere else. And that concerns me. You know, I was just thinking about you coming on today, the pandemic. I'm not going to ask you for a comment on the pandemic, but as a journalist, I'm, I'm, I remain horrified that the Irish and the British national media um, basically sidelined scientists from Ivy League universities who had strong opinions about lockdown. Scientists who thought, well, maybe lockdown is is more unhealthy or, or harmful for society than not. And, and they basically were precluded or excluded uh, from all of these debates. We're, we're in a bad place, I think, democracy. A very bad place. Yes, and I agree with you and all of the above. Like, I feel like um, there's a kind of... Um a mechanism now you know in society that uh, and the media is being co-opted into this whereby you know this the the legislators rather than bringing the people along with the idea or policy or decision or new law it's rather oh we'll just smear this whole swathe of people yeah. and we they will be kind of um unspeakable uh literally and 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 so it's, it's it cannot be good to kind of quash all dissenting opinion like and it's funny with regard to immigration, I see it's very much a deja vu thing for me because of our work in terms of the conflict of rights between women, children and gay, um, same sex attracted young people and so-called trans rights. You know, it was almost like you can't even say it out loud because if you do, you're transphobic. In the same vein, people across Ireland can't say, can't air their grievances, which would appear to be legitimate uh, because that is racist. And I think it's a really lazy way of governing a country and it cannot be healthy. Um, and similar to your point about the pandemic, yeah, I don't see a reckoning coming anytime soon in Ireland, certainly. I mean, I think an inquiry would be good in terms of working out. Um, you know, I, I spoke to someone recently who is a speech and language therapist and she worked with um, very complex, difficult cases with of adolescents who she said, Prior to lockdown, they were toileting, they were verbal, and they were going to their daycare and functional functioning. But they will never—they regressed so badly, and their mothers were just bruised and you know black and blue because they were home with these quite big, big, you know, fully grown adolescent, yeah. ext- um, autistic young people, and they've regressed so badly. Um, the mothers have paid you know a huge price, but the, these young people will never recover. And I and I, similarly, you know children in deprived areas who lost like in the uk at least there is a discourse around that you know that they were set back for two years i think i read um but in ireland that we we, we're just not we don't seem capable of having that sort of you know soul searching or reckoning where we go oh do do we do the right thing or you know who paid the highest price 
also, of course, you know, and this would be our constituency in terms of our av advocacy work, you know, women and children locked up with violent men who didn't have the outlets that they normally would have. So, like, I don't think any of that has been brought into the discussion. It's just like, oh, we did very well, didn't we? Uh, we were a great little country to lock down as long and hard as we did. But um, and it's almost like there's a squeamishness around looking at it holistically or in the round, which I don't think is helpful. Actually, I don't think it's a good sign of a, a good, healthy democracy. I think we should be able to um, hold space for discord and views and particularly dissenting views and particularly views which challenge the orthodoxy. And that's kind of what you and I are discussing here today. You know, hate crime speech, as far as I'm concerned, is a way to quash dissent. Shut it all down. You know, it's yeah. Yes, absolutely. There, there's an amazing lady. I only ever saw her on TV one time, Fanula Ni Aelon. I'm sure you've come across her. She worked as a lawyer for the United Nations for years. At the very outset of the pandemic, I don't want to talk about the pandemic because I want to ask you about something that's happening here in the time we have left, which is positive. Uh, the UK Health Secretary Stephen Barclay this morning talked about hospitals. We'll get into that in a moment. But Fanula Ni Aelon, when lockdown was announced, um, it was official. She was on Sky News with Dermot Murnahan. She said something which has stuck with me to this day. She said, um, governments and authorities, wherever they may be, they, they, they love their authority. And any rights given up to um, governments or, or, or other so-called authorities, they're not often given back. And she said, uh, you know, it, it seems to me that many of these rules and regulations that they've just brought in for, for lockdowns, it might be the fact that they were sitting in a desk somewhere for some time waiting to be used if the right moment uh, arose. It was just an amazing thing she said, you know, about freedom. And she talked about the need to have a proper debate about it and where are the scientists who, who might disagree. Yeah, what a crazy three years we've just had. I want to ask you, we've got um, the Countess.ie um, this is really important. Leisha de Bruin, barrister, is on the programme. It's uh, terrific to have her on and thanks for her time. Um, lots of comments, no doubt, coming in on this and I will be reading them out when um, when, when uh, Leisha goes back to work. Now, Stephen Barclay, UK Health Secretary, has announced at the Conservative Party conference in Manchester that his government is seeking to ban trans women from hospitals, from female wards in this country. I guess you like that. Actually, we did a poll um, almost, well, two and a half years ago now, and that was our strongest figure. It was like 60%, over 60% of people polled, and it was a you know a representative number, um, so you can say the public field, really. Um, they were completely against mixed-sex wards and, at all, but... Um, you know, in Ireland, we do have mixed-sex wards. There was an, a horrific case of a 19-year-old girl who was placed, she was incapacitated after surgery or after um, an accident, I don't, I don't know which, but she was placed in a mixed-sex ward and a man in his 50s sexually assaulted her. And the only way that they found out was because his heart monitor went off and the nurses came to find what, he, what was happening. Um, now, like in many cases in Ireland, there was no huge inquiry. Um, there was, I presume a suit that was settled and, and may, may have included a non-disclosure agreement. So we don't, you know, we never really learned more about that other than just the bare bones news reporting at the time. But I mean, I think that not only do we need to protect our spaces from men who say they're women, but just also just from men generally, you know, there is a kind of an erosion uh, erosion of, of female-only spaces and we've sort of forgotten why we need them. I mean, it's very clear to all reasonable people that when women are in vulnerable states of undress or incapacitated, um, that they need to have uh, be in female-only spaces. Like We have a female healthcare group 
and they work specifically around um, consent and female only care to female only intimate care. And one of the ladies in that group um, is herself um, physically disabled. And, you know, she was offered or told she was going to have intimate care off provided by a man when she was in a hospital in Ireland. And she said no. And then they made her wait for ages. And then eventually they found a woman to provide that care. So like in society general, we're seeing a kind of a coarsening and erosion of those pretty basic pillars of decency, you know, that 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 women, um, you know, need and require single sex provision of services um, in order to have equality and in order to have dignity and and privacy. All I can say really is, um, is good luck with the legislation, the attempt to, you know, to ultimately remove the rights for men who say I identify as a woman, so I should serve my my time in a in a women's prison. I can't get my head around this. I really can't. I'm not virtue signalling here. It's it's it seems to me to be a bit bizarre and almost vaudevillian in some way to be discussing these things. Yeah, it should be self evident that if a woman is in hospital, that she should be cared for if she chooses. Um, as you said, in a vulnerable state, to be cared for by by another woman. It's mad to be talking about it. The Countess.ie is a, is a group um, headed up by Alicia which looks out for the rights of women and children, their privacy, dignity and and safety. Recently called to the bar. It must be exciting, right? I've just actually started devilling and um, yeah, I mean, it's just like so intense but so exciting and I'm, I'm in, um, I'm doing criminal law so I find it like it's all of, all of human drama, you know, yeah. is there and um it's very high pace but yeah i mean for me to um be um in this field um of advocacy and to now have that qualification is is a pretty much a game changer because i was able to draft that legislation myself and then i'm also working on another piece of legislation which hopefully i'll have good news for you next time we speak but that will be a private members bill which will exclude single sex you know, spaces and services. So, for example, changing rooms and toilets from the scope of the gender recognition certificate as well. And I think that's the way to approach this. Like, you know, you need to kind of um, chip away at it because sadly it has become normative. Like there was a huge amount of work done on the populace, on the public in Ireland. And so that a huge swathe um, do believe trans women and women and do think this is a, a force for good and a good idea. However, what we have noticed just through our work on the ground in Ireland is actually they're just the loudest uh, shoutiest people and they're typically really only in the academic media eroctus kind of bubble and once you get out into you know outside of that and into the countryside and into the regions everyone knows that a woman yeah what a woman is and everyone knows you can't change sex you know yeah it's a simple fact i should have mentioned by the way you did great work on these words belong to us the campaign where the government basically had to think again about removing words like woman and substituting woman for birthing person which is mental and you know how much the nhs in this country has spent on such garbage I mean, millions and millions of pounds, you know, money which could be so much better spent elsewhere. But uh, no, well done on all that to Countess.ie. So I'll give you the last word I always do with um, with my, my guests. Last 30 seconds to you, Leisha. And just um, all the best with your endeavours, obviously in, in law, of course, but also with the advocacy. Really appreciate your fi final word to yourself. Um, I would just say as a kind of parting note that... Um, 
the word female, mother, girl, woman, they don't belong to the state. They belong to us. We paid a high price for them generations before. We're punished for them. Um, they are our birthright and they belong to us. They don't, they do not belong to the state. Leisha, great These to meet you. Belong to us. Thanks very much for coming on the programme. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks, Richie. Thank you. Bye-bye. Leisha De Bruyne speaking with me earlier on. It's Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is coming up for uh, five and a half minutes, five minutes even to the top of the hour. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. No, message from Sarah. Richie, brilliant um, and articulate lady, uh, Leisha. Her analysis of the legislation is brilliant. I found it striking, the point she made about the switch, where it'll be no longer the responsibility of the prosecution to prove your guilt, but the onus will be on you to prove your innocence. Scary indeed, uh, says Sarah. How does one prove one isn't hateful? If I understand her description of the act, For example, if my employer offers me a course on gender recognition and trans communities, for instance, and I politely refuse to participate, under that, I could be accused of hate speech. Like you said before, not being anti-minority groups will not be enough to be seen as innocent. You'll have to be heard and seen to be pro-minority groups. Where does that shit stop, Uh, says Sarah? Soon MPs will be recognised as a protected group and the law will make it illegal to voice any opposition to them with jail sentences if you do, and that's Sarah. You might think that's extreme, but who knows? Ian says... With respect to uh, Leisha, who said if you can get society to accept men as women, they'll accept anything. While this is true, uh, says Ian, I don't think that's the motive at the higher up levels of the agenda. I think they're sowing the seeds of left-wing extremism, gender ideology, etc., to make the inevitable right-wing reactionary backlash more palatable to the population. And when that happens, they'll take the gloves off, impose real tyranny. And they hope the general public will then, at that point, be grateful for it, for the measures. Thank you, Ian. Very interesting. Um, Cookie says, if voting worked, it would have been banned years ago. Thank you very much for that. Messages through the app, the Richie Allen Show app, or richieallen.co.uk. Let me read a few more. Now, Diane, who's a transgender woman, says... There has to be a medicalised aspect to gender change. Self-declaration was obviously going to be abused by some very dodgy people. Anyone who has not S or S should be kept out of women's spaces. Hell, I don't want to see men's tackles, says uh, Diane. Thank you very much for that, Diane. It's uh, coming up for two and a half minutes to the top of the hour. Yeah, and a number of you... Uh, I've echoed um, Sarah's comments saying it's absolutely astonishing, you know, the hate speech legislation progressing through uh, the, the, the Irish political system. The idea that you would have to prove that material on your laptop, on your phone, on your on your pad, you know, is not because you're promoting any sort of hate, but it's because you're interested in it or because whatever reason you'd have to prove that hate is not the motivation there like I said huge interest in this Kev who's in Tyrone has said that Christy Moore the great Christy Moore in Kev's words in Kev's words has turned into a knob over refugees has he has he I don't spend a lot of time these days following 
people. Uh, well, I should say, I don't spend too much time looking at what celebrities are doing when it comes to the migrant policies of Ireland. But has Christy Moore, what do you mean by that, Kev? Has he gone full, you know, the government is right and anybody asking questions is wrong? Baird says, Richie, listening to your interview with Alicia, do you know why she thinks this whole trans plus agenda is uh, the way it is? Well, she did answer that, didn't she, uh, during the conversation. Thanks for that, Baird. As I said, messages to richieallen.co.uk or via the Richie Allen Show app, which I urge you to download. Please download it. And when you do, please give it a review. And Donald says the guard of Shia are already already political uh, politically policing. They're already policing politically, says Donald. That's in response to something Leisha said early on. Diane reckons Ireland is going towards Napoleonic law. No doubt about that. And uh, yeah, lots and lots of comments. Engage with others on the website. Do that. RichieAllen.co.uk. Back in a moment. Your body's defences are under constant attack from flu, respiratory diseases and the common cold. Now more than ever, it is essential that you have a robust immune system. And as we all know, vitamin D3 plays an essential role in this. Immunex 365 is a unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. This unique combination of nutrients ensures efficient bioavailability of D3 thereby giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. For your peace of mind, all NutriHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Go to NutriHealth365.com to get yours now. That's NutriHealth365.com. You're listening to the saviour of independent media, Richie Allen. You know, I don't understand people like Christy Moore. If Christy Moore is criticising people and alleging they are xenophobic, I don't understand it. And I'm going to repeat something that maybe I shouldn't. I shouldn't do it because I've done it too many times. But it was, it, 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 it was the opinion of the left wing, the real left of your, that on managed migration or unfettered, unencumbered, right, where you had an open door. The left said this is dangerous because it's going to deteriorate the rights of workers. Workers' rights will deteriorate and wages will be driven down. You know, trade unionists and socialists years and years ago warned about open door policies because the the, the, the company owners, right, the, the business owners would eschew, do you like that word, eschew, their indigenous employees in favour of migrants who would work for less money and who would work for conditions or work within conditions that, um, you know, the indigenous people wouldn't put up with. It's hilarious how everything has gone 180 degrees now, isn't it? When you think about it. I mean, I, I see guys, particularly guys who are members of unions in Ireland, and our union spokespeople, or spokesmen, I should say, in Ireland, and I see the same here in England, calling people racist for questioning the migration policies of their governments. It's, it's gone 180. You don't have to be Einstein, you know, to realise that when you open the doors to anybody and everybody who wants to come into a country, that the people most affected by this are the working class, and I hate to say working class, right? Because I don't see myself as inferior to anybody, certainly not, and I would have been considered to be a member of the working class. So it's gone 180, and I wonder, th- does it occur to people like Christy Moore and others, 
and Elton John. Elton John comes from a working class family. He does, doesn't he? If I remember my, my musical history, Elton John certainly didn't grow up with a silver spoon in his mouth. No more than Brian May did, or Freddie Mercury. And Freddie's dead, God love him. We don't know what Freddie would have said about the migration policy of the Conservative government. But it's, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous for anybody to call a, somebody in a working community, somebody who lives on a housing estate like the one I live on, to call them racist when they see dramatically within weeks, sometimes just within weeks, the entire landscape around them change. With people from, I, I see it here in Salford. The change, I moved here in 2019 and when I pass people now, they are darker skinned people, they're often very pale skinned people from Eastern Europe speaking languages I don't understand. I'm the lefty here before anybody accuses me of xenophobia. What does that do to um, access to services around here, which are strained as it is anyway, after the lockdown shock, you know? Getting a doctor's appointment here is next to impossible. In the clinic I'm registered at. So when people say, Jesus, what's going on? To label them as monstrously racist is disgusting. It's beyond gaslighting. It's psychological torture, is how I see it. It's time for a musical break. I think the first one of the programme. At least I think it is. And when we come back from this, Matt Letizia will be on the programme. I'm really looking forward to meeting him. And I know you are too. Keep those comments coming in, please, through the website and the app. Thank you. Right, it's now six minutes past the hour of six o'clock. Blur and Park Life on the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live from Salford on Fab Radio 2 in Manchester. We're on the TuneIn app as well. My own app, Richie Allen. Get it on the App Store or Google Play. Let's welcome our next guest to the programme. The first midfielder to score 100 Premier League goals. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Uh, played all his career at Southampton. Routinely won the BBC Goal of the Month competition. England International Sky Pundit. All-round legend, really. And he's had a very interesting last couple of years, to say the least. I want to ask him one or two questions about that. We'll talk about it. And recently, or maybe not so recently, he became an ambassador for CBD oil, or a brand. And I'm very interested in that, because that's come up on this programme in the past as well. It's a pleasure to welcome to the programme the one and only Matt Letizia. Matt, welcome, and thanks for coming on. How are you? Uh, my pleasure, Ricky. I'm good, thanks, mate. Good to have you on. Um... It's been an interesting last couple of years, to say the least, hasn't it? <laughs> it certainly has, yeah. Um, a lot has changed in the, in my life in the last three years. Uh, not necessarily um, for the better in terms of uh, income and uh, all that kind of stuff, but um, if I had to do the same again, I would. And uh, uh, it's been fascinating to, to live through the last three years. Is that very important, the statement you just made there, that if I had to do it again, I would? So even though, and I'm not going to ask for specifics because it's none of my business, but you would have had friendships in the media, people that you would have trusted, and they might have hurt you because maybe they didn't back you, because ultimately all you did was speak your mind. I'm sure you loved the punditry. I'm not kissing your arse. I loved watching you on Soccer <laughs> Saturday. I loved watching you. Very funny. And the, the, the dynamic between you all was great. So you must miss that. But despite all of that, you did the right thing and you're sure of it. Uh, absolutely, I'm sure of it. Uh, I think... Uh, what's been highlighted the last few years has been the uh, the actual lack of free speech that we're allowed in this country. And um, I think 
governments are being exposed um, for bringing in legislation, which is going to pretty much lead to total total control of them over your finances and the way you live your life and whatever you spend every single last penny on. And uh, that's not a world I want to live in. So, so you speak up. Do you remember... Um, I deliberately, because I've obviously heard you speak about the last three years, but I deliberately didn't go and listen to anything you've done lately because I wanted to be almost kind of ignorant because I have, you know, questions I want to ask you as if our listeners have never heard you, even though they have. So forgive me if you're bored of answering these questions, but you can be as quick as you want, right? But when, when did you know something was wrong? Was it early 2020, mid 2020? When did you say to yourself, Matt, this is not right here? Yeah, I, I think it was probably yeah, it was it was even before we went into the first lockdown, um, before uh, so early late February, early March two thousand and twenty, when you could just start to see uh, the propaganda building in the uh, in the media. Uh, I'd spoken to a couple of doctors who were privy to some data that they'd seen uh, around uh, this new virus that was going around, and uh, basically I was told very early on that this would only ever be. Uh, uh dangerous to the really elderly or people who are already immunocompromised it didn't really pose a threat to uh the vast majority of uh of people in the country and uh so that's why i i was uh speaking out very early on uh about the media uh scaring the pants off of everybody um when i, I thought it was completely unjustified yeah you must have been thinking to yourself surely i'll see some of these contradictory doctors on the BBC or on Sky sooner or later, you know, but we didn't, did we? They were basically excommunicated, weren't they? These other experts who just as just as qualified as the sage guys. Yeah, absolutely. Um, that was that was kind of one of the big things uh, about uh, early on is that we weren't being uh, given both sides of the story. We were just fed one narrative for the whole time when there were actually people speaking out against what was going on uh, and yet as we know they were all silenced uh, and i think this is what these new bills are being uh, gone through parliament the online harm safety bill all that is going through uh, under the pretext of you know protecting our children but basically they're giving themselves uh, a free pass in cancelling anybody who disagrees with the narrative imagine in the future if they say we found another pathogen and it's very dangerous so We've got to get guys like Matt Letizier off of Rumble and we've got to get him off of other platforms because because Matt might cause some harm because if he tells these conspiracy stories, somebody might not get the job and if they don't get the job, they could become gravely ill. That's exactly the ground they're laying, isn't it? Absolutely, 100% is. Yeah, and it's uh, it's scary. It's, it's laying the groundwork for a uh, tyrannical government, basically. Um, and you're not going to be able to do anything about it unless you stand up pretty quick. What about those who might say, ah, Matt's one of the greatest players of all time. You are, by the way, you're an amazing footballer. But you know nothing about any of this stuff. Shut up, Matt, and leave it to the experts. Or, or, <laughs> at, the, wait, wait, or at the very least, why don't you just point us towards some Harvard guy who agrees with Matt Letizier and you keep your oar out of it and stick to the football punditry? What would you say? Well, the strange thing is, had the experts who uh, were the right experts in the field who were who had been cancelled, had they actually been listened to and been given a platform on the television, I probably would have kept my aura out of yeah, it. Yeah, good answer. Uh, yeah. Because I'm very much of the opinion that we should be able to 
uh, be given both sides of the story and us as humans ourselves be able to choose for ourselves who we believe. Because uh, there are a lot of experts, so-called experts, who had a lot of time on television who have now turned out to have been completely wrong two or three years ago in what they were saying. Absolute nonsense. And yet they'll still get a voice on the television by everybody else who was right two or three years ago. They still are cancelled and will not be touched by a mainstream media channel. Isn't it interesting you mentioned that you were alerted by some doctors to the fact that the virus itself was pretty mild and wouldn't really be a problem for most people. You'll remember, of course, not long after lockdown one, very, in fact, only days after the first lockdown, Chris Whitty gave, he was the England's chief medical officer, still is, uh, at the time he gave a Downing Street uh, briefing where he basically admitted that COVID was nothing to worry about. Do you remember that? He diluted it down. He said, most people won't get yep, it. absolutely. Do you remember that? Amazing, really. Well, also, um, before the first lockdown, uh, it, it was also downgraded. Um, uh, so it, it wasn't considered a highly consequential infectious disease. Um, and that was before the first lockdown. So everything else from there on in told me that something wasn't right and that there's a, a far bigger agenda behind all of this. Now, privately, and I don't want any names at all, but privately, were you texting or sending WhatsApp messages to journalists you know or knew in the mainstream asking them to pull their finger out and do their jobs <laughs> um i don't i didn't really uh i don't really have a lot of journalists who are friends uh who i keep in contact with to be honest with you yeah uh so i and to be honest given what I'd, I'd seen in terms of the reporting i knew that uh most journalists so-called journalists were obviously going to tow the party line and weren't going to put their jobs at risk you know and that's that's the be all and end all really um so it was pretty pointless uh texting these journalists asking them to grow a backbone uh knowing that if they did they they'd probably get back from their jobs and and you know that's uh that's the, the insidious nature of what's gone on the last few years is that uh <laughs> there's been several several ways of, of silencing people uh, one of them is to threaten them with their jobs um which is which was done quite a lot and it was also used in the in the rollout of the vaccine where people were threatened with their jobs if they didn't get vaccinated um and again uh i think there's been some massive psychological operations played out on the uh, on the entire population uh and fortunately i think there are a big enough percentage of us that, that didn't fall for it I'll come back to that because there's a prevailing opinion in some independent media circles that they would struggle to impose these things on the public again because enough people have wised up, so we might come back to that. Now, obviously, ex-players, some ex we're not going to mention any names, but weren't very supportive of you at the time that you left Sky Sports. In the intervening time, in the time since then, Again, I'm not looking for any gossip, but would it would it be true that some people have come back to you and said, Jesus, Matt, I've seen a bit more of this. I think you might be right, and I'm sorry for not standing up for you, because I imagine you would have had one or two calls like that. Um, yeah, I've had quite a few messages from, from people who, uh, who the messages kind of go something along these lines. Uh, Matt, keep doing what you're doing. I agree with everything you say. Unfortunately, uh, I can't say anything publicly because i'll lose my job and you respect that 
no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I can I can understand it, but I don't respect it. That's the that's the best way of putting it. Even if they're mortgaged up the wazoo and they're not a legendary former footballer like yourself, so I'm not saying you're a millionaire, by the way. I'm not saying that. I don't know what you have I'm, or what I'm, you don't I'm have. I'm still mortgaged up. Don't worry about. You're that. mortgaged up as well. But no, you know, because I I I feel like you three days a week and the other four days a week I think well if they're in London and they're in financial difficulties because mortgages and what have you I, I, I can kind of give them a pass and my listeners will kill me for saying that yeah. you no, know that's why I say that. that's exactly why I say I understand it but I don't respect it fair enough you're listening to Matt Letizia by the way um, do, do you think the, the, this is going to sound really like this is going to sound like a shit question but you were obviously <laughs> you, you were obviously different as a player I mean, Maverick, there's no doubt about that. By the way, I'm a lifelong Manchester United fan and used to dream in the late 80s that you might come and join us. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, honestly, I, I, anybody who knows me would, 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 um, would say that, would know that I would have said that. So, you, bit unconventional, um, likely to... I mean, we know you had one or two difficulties with managers who didn't appreciate your, um, I would say, kind of free-spirit style of playing football, which is brilliant to watch. Did that make it more likely that you would see through a scam like the pandemic? Your approach to life? <laughs> I think it might have done. Uh, Good question, I, isn't know, it? It's a question, it's a question I've asked myself over these last few years. Yeah. Uh, but, but also I've tried to, well, the people that I've met along the way who have similar views to me, I've tried to understand what is the common thread that runs through us all. Because obviously we weren't all maverick footballers, uh, but we've all seen through things in a different way. And I, and I think... I think it's just an ability to question authority and not and not be taken in 100% by somebody who claims to, you know, be an expert on a subject. Yeah. Because um, obviously a, an expert is, is only as, as good as the, uh, the the people that are funding him to be that expert. Um, and so uh, I've always been a bit sceptical of people in authority. I've, I've always been strong enough to question uh, authority if I if it didn't feel right to me. If something in my gut was telling me this, this doesn't feel right, then I've got to, I've got to question it. Would mum or dad or grandparents have been like that? Because I, I had a, a grandparent who was very much like that. I think I, it kind of rubbed off on me. What about you? Uh, I think my gran was probably like that. Um, uh, my parents, not not so much, I don't think. Um, I, I, I mean, it's, it's a very different generation. I think they, they've kind of gone through their life uh, very tough times for them growing up and quite stoic with everything um uh, and obviously my parents uh believed uh early on with the uh with the whole vaccine rollout and believed that they were doing the right thing by by taking it um i managed after a couple of jabs to get them to stop thankfully well done. um and so far so good they've, they've not come to any harm um so uh yeah i think it was, it was probably i I don't, I don't know i guess it was it was just something in me uh, i think that, that questions authority and i think that's that's the be all and end all really one of the things when i tweeted you were coming on i mentioned it a few times during the week look at the messages to the, to the i'm not making this up now to the app because i have an app and they can message the studio instantaneously um 2,196 messages have come in in the last half an hour. I mean, there's no way I'm getting through them. Um, we'll read them We'll read them <laughs> randomly, right? Um, Hank, who loves you, by the way, says, would you ask Matt why he no longer does his um, excellent podcasts on Getter? 
It's Valerie, actually. She's using Hank's account. Valerie loves you. Why you don't go on Getter anymore? They miss you. Um, uh, yeah, I think, well, obviously, uh, first and foremost, um, I had a contract with Getter, which came to an end. Um, and the uh, the Monday night live streams, they were, they were a little bit uh, a little bit stressful in terms of getting guests and the technology that was involved. And I'm not the most techie person. Uh, so it was it was quite a bit of a work up to get it all done and dusted. Uh, but I did it for uh, nine months, I think it was, and, and interviewed some fantastic people and hopefully got a lot of the word out there. But uh, since my contract finished, obviously, the stuff going on at Getter, it's, it's a little bit of a... Uh, of an echo chamber, if you like, um, where, you know, most people are on, on, on my side. Um, and I find that with, uh, with Twitter, there is obviously a, a lot more people there that need converting, if you like, yeah. uh, into, into trying to get them to understand what's going on in the world. So, uh, I focused my efforts more on that and I, and I, and I really want to have a balance between spending time on social media and, actually spending time you know with my family and doing the stuff in my life that that kind of brings me some joy because uh i think it's important that you have a balance in all of this uh because you know uh we're only here once and and you don't want to waste it just no. by uh by not having any fun at all um so yeah i just had to get a bit more balance in my life really that was all it's not a rehearsal i agree with that you said something there which i'm really impressed by i you're 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 a tiny bit older than me not much so you're old school so your burning desire really is to have these conversations but with your opponents in a respectful way and this yes. is what we don't have i mean i i i do everything and anything to get politicians to come on. The last one that came on was Edwina Curry, and she hung up on me when I gave her some evidence that masks don't work. And I thought that wasn't like her because I used to interview her for years and we'd have ding-dongs about everything. So you really don't want the echo chamber. You want to sit down with people who believe in the masks, who believe in the jabs, and you want to have an adult conversation. That's fantastic. And that's what's sadly missing. Now, yeah. um, I didn't tell you this because if I did, you probably wouldn't have come on. But when, <laughs> when, when you mentioned something, I understood why you did this, by the way. You mentioned something a couple of years ago about Christian Eriksen. And to your absolute credit, you deleted the tweet straight away because you jumped in with two feet. Now, listen, listen, let him without sin cast the first stone. I've done this a million times myself, but I really respected you for pulling back that tweet when you when you said that Christian's um, heart issue might have been down to the jab. Now, it might have been. We, we, we don't know. But you did really well there. And, and, and now there's no doubt that there's something very wrong, Matt, because I've been going... The last couple of seasons, I started going back to United last year. So I bought me membership, so I go to pretty much every home game. Um, I watch every live game on TV. I'm sure you watch most of them as well. We've never seen anything like it, Matt, have we? People going down, not just professionally, but in amateur sports as yeah. well. People going down with cardiac injuries. Thank God not everybody dying, but many people dying. And yet, nobody seems to want to talk about that. <laughs> I know, yes. And that was a, a, one of my biggest... Uh, kind of crusades really if you like um is that i couldn't believe what i was seeing when i when i was watching a lot of sport and seeing fit young athletes collapsing on the field of play at a rate that i'd never witnessed before in my life and that was the important bit at a rate i've never witnessed before in my life and uh i was concerned that nobody was batting an eyelid in in the establishment so uh i decided i was i was going to try and um 
do a little bit about it and try to put a bit of pressure on the PFA and FIFA Pro, which are the players' unions. Um, PFA, obviously, in this country, and FIFA Pro is the worldwide players' union. And uh, and so, yeah, I put out a tweet one day which just said, hey, FIFA Pro, are you not a little bit concerned at the alarming rate of which fit young athletes are collapsing on the fields of play? Um, and within 10 minutes, I had a, a phone call from the uh, from the head of FIFA Pro. <laughs> uh, which uh, was an, uh, an old adversary of mine in Bobby Barnes, who I I played against in my career. He's a bit older than me, but um, he tried telling me that uh, no, no, there's there's no increase. It, it you know this has always happened. It's just never really been that well publicised. My and, God! Uh, at which point I I I smelt bullshit basically, and uh, I said, "Hang on a minute, Bobby." I said, "Come on." I said, "You and me played at pretty much the same time." I said, so how many players in your career do you know that collapsed on the field of play with heart issues? Name me one in your career. And he, he stumbled for a minute and he said, oh, well, there was Fabrice Moamba, um, you know, and Mark Vivian Foe. I said, yeah. I said, now, both of those were after we finished playing, Bob. You know that, don't you? So I'll ask you again, during your career, you know, how many was it? And he couldn't name me one. Not a now, I was one. a professional for 17 years and I couldn't name you one. Not a single not a single footballer I, I knew or played against or even in training had to leave the field of play with heart issues. So what I was seeing on the television was not normal. Um, and so uh, I, I did all I possibly could to flag this with the PFA and it ended up with the FA and I ended up with uh, speaking with the doctor at the Football Association who um, was very good. She was very approachable, um, took phone calls from me. Uh, I arranged a Zoom call after I'd met Dr. Asim Malhotra, who was also concerned about the uh, the stuff that he was seeing in terms of the myocarditis. Uh, and so I organised a, a Zoom call with the doctor at the FA and their cardiologists um, and myself and, and Dr. Asim to, to voice our concerns of what we were seeing. The contents of that meeting have to be uh, kept secret because that was what the FA told me would have to happen for this Zoom call to take place. I would not be allowed to discuss what, what was said in it, and I haven't done. Fair enough. Um, and so uh, eventually, in, in November of 22, um, uh, I was I kept sending the reports of any young fit athletes that were, that were having heart issues on a pitch, and I kept emailing them to the doctor at the FA and just saying, look look here's another one look here's another one uh, and eventually in november of 2022 uh, i got a, an email back from her saying uh, as you know which i didn't because nobody had announced this uh, she said as you know professional footballers are no longer being advised to have any more covid jabs uh, and i was like wow you've just flippantly said that there's been no announcement at all you know, they've been telling everyone for the last year, all professional footballers, they're doing their bit. 90% of players are jabbed, which, again, uh, I don't know where they got that figure from because the two professional players that I spoke to in the Premier League, current players, both said at their clubs that only 50% of the squad uh, had been jabbed. So, Isn't that interesting? Uh, only 50%? Yeah, because I often wondered how many Premier League or Championship elite athletes, uh, the Women's Premier League, how many of them would take a chance you know, being young and fit and very healthy in the prime of their lives. And I used to hope, like fingers crossed, Matt, that, that the majority of them would say, no, I don't need that, thank you. Yeah, well, that, that should have been the case, really, for the, for anybody who was um, 
certainly uh, at that age and at that fitness level, um, there, there really was no need for it. Uh, and I think that's the, the biggest thing that I've learned from people who, you know, aren't conflicted by big pharma money um, is that there just wasn't, there wasn't the need. Uh, the risk of the vaccine was, was higher than the, the risk of any long-term damage that could be done from the virus itself if you were young, fit and healthy. So, um, you know, that's just... Wasn't that, that staggering, was... Matt? Sorry to, to cut across. Wasn't that staggering telling you, and there'd been no fanfare, no mention of it in the that, media, but yeah. um, the Premier League players will not be offered it now as a routine. Amazing, really. I mean, it confirms yeah. that they knew there was a problem. Uh, absolutely, 100%. nobody, nobody's, nobody's willing to row back on anything, uh, and obviously, they're probably very concerned about legal action and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, so I can understand why they're why they're rowing back quietly. I know that Djokovic was kicked out of Australia, and then he was told he couldn't come to America. He'd probably have another couple of Grand Slams in his locker now <laughs> if that hadn't have been the case. But um, it, it, do you sometimes get... I mean, because the thing about watching you for years... See, I feel like I know you, even though I don't know you. We've never met, and maybe someday we'll bump into each other and we'll have a beer. Maybe we won't, right? But like anybody who's in your living room for years and years... You know, and I'd be a religious viewer of Soccer Saturday. Jeff Stelling is one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. Whether or not he supported, you, you know, you or, or others, and that's between you and him. But um, brilliant to watch. Great camaraderie, great laughs. Like, you know, if you had a bad week, Soccer Saturday was fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Um, Thank you. No, I mean it, mate. It's wicked. Do, do you sometimes get kind of overwhelmed I mean, I, I've heard you loud and clear. You work not to. You work for the balance. You spend time with your family. But do you get sometimes overwhelmed with the wickedness of it, Matt? This is wickedness writ large, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. I I don't allow myself to be overwhelmed. Um, but yes, the, the wickedness is at a level that, you know, I, I struggle to believe was possible in this world um, because uh, I, I like to think that I'm a, a genuinely good uh compassionate person who's happy to help others whenever i possibly can um and to see what other people have decided to do with their time on this planet um beggars belief quite frankly uh and the scale of it is is only just unfolding b before our very eyes and i think there is a, a, an awakening taking place i think there is definitely a, a way larger portion of the population now uh are questioning their government uh, and questioning people like the World Economic Forum, uh, the United Nations, the World Health Organization, uh, all those all those people in positions of power, uh, I think, are being questioned. Uh, and the reason that they're trying to get through all this legislation is to try and protect themselves uh, and to try and protect the truth from coming out. And that's all these online harm safety bills and, and different bills across the the world that are going ahead um, in Canada and America, it's all designed to protect the people who have been lying to us. They, they say they don't want to. They, they want to stop misinformation. Well, unfortunately, the people that are trying to implement the bills that are trying to stop misinformation are actually the ones giving out the most misinformation, and that's where the real problem in our country lies. And before I ask you about CBD oil and why you've become an ambassador for a company, which I'm, and, and it's not me giving you any free advertising. Matt hasn't asked me to do this. I want to do it because I've been doing this show 
this particular show for nine years, but I've done previous radio shows in, in commercial radio where we talked about these subjects. And I'm really interested in the oil and in natural healing and, and the natural earth. And particularly because I've interviewed mums, Vera Toomey from Cork in Ireland and other mums whose kids have had a very rare form of epilepsy. And they've been helped by cannabis oil. And so before I talk about that, so the thing is, I believe, and I think you believe as well, they're trying to create a technocratic kind of dystopian prison planet where everything we do is controlled morning, noon and night. They're using fake crises to bring this about, yeah. I believe. And, yeah. and it's wicked and it's happening. So before we talk about the oil and how you got into that and, and what it's done for you, um, that sounds so crazy to people who haven't seen the information you've seen or I or I've seen. So it's very yeah. difficult to persuade people to take a look at that because it sounds like such an outlandish theory. But are you optimistic? I know you've said there's an awakening going on. In the end, will good win over evil? Will we eventually stop this, do you think? Will humanity eventually come together? Uh, I think I think it has to, and I believe it, I believe it will. Uh, I, I really do. I don't think um, that the, the incredibly small amount of evil that there is in this planet I don't think he can win over the massive amount of good people that there are on this planet. So it's a numbers game uh, and it's only a matter of time. And I believe that they know it's only a matter of time before they lose. Um, so I, I'm convinced. And that's why I don't allow myself to get uh, too downhearted about it, uh, too overwhelmed by it all, because uh, deep in my heart, I know that the good, good will always win over evil. Lovely. And a very quick follow up to that. Are you a spiritual person then? Do you believe there's a higher authority than than man uh yeah i do um uh, I, i've not always been that way inclined the last few years have uh have definitely uh sent me on a path towards that direction um and so and so yeah i, I think now i would yes describe myself as a uh, very much more of a spiritual person than I was a few years ago. That's lovely. A couple of quick comments and then it's oil and people can't wait for you to talk about the oil. Cara, a lot of female <laughs> listeners are, are, are female listeners because you're so laid back, you see, that's why they love listening to you. And and I'm not. I'm I'm um, totally wound up most of the time. Cara says, can, <laughs> can you tell Matt Ritchie, congratulations for having honour and integrity. He's restored my faith in celebrities, she says. For the laugh, she says, can you ask Matt what he thought of the kiss scandal that took over the female world uh, cup and ended up in the spanish football president losing his job <laughs> there's one for you now on the spot uh no comment I, <laughs> uh, I, I think it was just the most overblown uh reaction to anything i've ever seen the, these they've just won the world cup uh and if he wanted to be a little bit exuberant in his celebrations i think the, the telling thing for me was that I saw the video clip of I don't know if you've seen it, the video clip of her on the bus with the with her phone with yeah. the clip on the phone, laughing and joking about it. Obviously, not particularly bothered at that point about it, uh, and only really became particularly bothered about it after you know the media kicked up a bit of a storm, and uh, you know, oh, he he kissed her on the lips. Oh my goodness gracious yeah. me! Um, so uh, I I feel like it was a um, uh, as with COVID, a massive over exaggeration. Listen, CBD oil. Um, before that, though, um, 
I, well, we might get we might have a minute at the end to talk about why you scored so many goals against my football team. <laughs> you, you saw off Big Ron in '86. You finished Big Ron in the cup. Um, I know that. I remember that. I'm old enough to remember that. You loved scoring against us, Taibi, Schmeichel. Didn't matter who was in goal. Anyway, look enough. Why did you become an ambassador for CBD oil brand, and how did you first come by uh, CBD oil? What does it mean to you? What does it do? Well, I've um, I was approached probably over a year ago now, actually, by uh, Anthony Fowler, uh, former boxer, uh, who now runs the Supreme CBD company. Um, and I'd seen a couple of the other uh, ex-professional, a couple of my mates actually who were promoting it on on their social media. I hadn't really given it much thought, to be honest. I I've, I've been quite lucky in my life in terms of my health. You know, I, I could probably count on me hands and toes the amount of days I missed off work uh, actually ill um, so uh, I, it was kind of in my consciousness and, and Anthony approached me and said oh would you would you consider being an ambassador I said well I, I couldn't be an ambassador because I have no idea what this stuff does and uh, uh, and so I and at the moment my my uh, problem with the health industry is such that I'm a bit skeptical about everything and uh and he said no he said i understand that. i understand that so yeah that was kind of fine and it, and and then he kind of approached me again a few months later and he said look he said, just give it a try why don't you give it a try so i said okay i said i'll, I'll try it for a few months and see how we go and uh and then i can be in a position to say yay or nay well done uh, so that's what i did um so i've been i've been taking the the, the, the gummies uh, my wife has been using the oil um there was also a, a sports rub that they do, which I found has been really, really helpful because I still play a lot of sport, uh, even at my age. And I found it's become very helpful in helping my muscles to recover quicker from when I play sport. Um, so that's been uh, pretty amazing. to be. I used to play a football match and then like wouldn't be able to walk for about four days afterwards. Um, uh, and yet this stuff, I was like, oh, within a, within a day or two, I, I was out running again, uh, out on the roads doing like three, four or five mile runs. So, um, so I was like, oh, wow, this stuff, this stuff's good. <laughs> you know, the, the gummies were, were helping with my sleep. I would kind of probably wake up once a night um, uh, and I started taking the, the gummies and I was sleeping straight the way through. And um, so it was really helping me. And my wife then, she'd had osteoarthritis in her fingers and she was taking the oil. Uh, and she said to me, she said, wow, she said, this stuff's working. She said, I'm noticing a real difference with this. So I was like, blimey, okay. So this is this is pretty good stuff. Um, and so uh, so I said to Anthony, I went, fair play to you, mate. I said, uh, I've been using this stuff for a, for a few months now. Uh, my family are noticing a difference. So uh, so I'm happy to get on board. And that was, that was as simple as that. That's exactly how it happened. Lovely to hear this because I've heard from hundreds, if not thousands of listeners over the years who've said that it's helped them deal with the types of, complaints you described there um but also chronic pain in, in some people it's a miracle Indeed. plant isn't it matt it is a, it seems to be that yeah. way mate from all the you know the the lovely stories that i get the messages that i get on social media from people who've um you know it's, it's literally changed their life um you know stuff people especially for anxiety um you know people a lot of people have said that Jesus, this, this is really good stuff. You know, they were struggling to get out of the house before, uh, and this stuff is helping them do things they could never have done 
previously. So, uh, so that's, that's what why fascinates I got involved me and, uh, and happy to, to endorse it to my followers. Yeah, give a, give a mention to the website. I don't normally do this, but you didn't ask for anything in return and coming on. So what's the website um, details for, for, for it? No, I, I never do um, ask for anything, uh, but I'm always happy to, to talk about it if people, people want to talk about it. So it's supremecbd.uk. Um, uh, and that's where you'll find all the products. And uh, I, I have a, a promotional code, um, which allows you to get 40% off of any products that you, you buy on the site there. Um, so when you get to check out, uh, if you put in the code TIS40, that's T-I-S-S-4-0, um, and you'll get 40% off of anything you buy on there. So um, yeah, it's, Brilliant. it's a pretty good deal. And you know, because I, I didn't realise about the, the anxiety and the sleep, so I've, I've taken a real interest in that. I've been dealing with insomnia. I don't want to talk about me because it's boring, but I've been dealing with insomnia since mid-teens. And I'm absolutely going to oh, have. Wow. A, I'm going to have a go at it now because I have nothing to lose. In, in any case, absolutely. you know, I, I might have to stop having a drink after work as well. That might also have to be part of it, which is not great <laughs> when when you're an Irishman. But um, but thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's important. And of course, um, look again, going back years when I first heard about this stuff, it's um, I mean, a, a big farmer don't like it, do they? At all? Not at all. Absolutely, and that's one of the, that, that, that's one of the the biggest reasons why I was like. Oh, so big farmer don't like it. Yeah. Okay, this must be good. <laughs> Absolutely right, yeah. You it know, must be good for you. And it's terrible. I know that the oil with the little THC content, I know it's completely different to what you've been talking about, but to think that there are children in this country and um, they've got that terrible grand mall seizures with the really rare forms of epilepsy, which could kill them. And this, you yeah. know, can, the, the cannabis plant helps and yet they've got to go to Holland in many cases at great expense, Matt. It's um, again, it's wicked, isn't it? It is wicked, and I, I, I that's what I've come to realise over the uh, over the last few years is that the, uh, the the medicinal community uh can be quite wicked. They will uh they will stifle anything that is actually really good for you uh for you to take their pills that uh, that will have side effects that you'll need some more pills for, oh. and then those pills that you're taking will have a side effect, and they'll give you some more pills for that one. Um, you know, the pharmaceutical industry don't ever want to cure anybody because if they did, they'd be put out of business. In a heartbeat. Um, and so once you actually understand that fact, everything else makes sense. And that's why they'll demonize anything that's good for you. And we have to be wise to that. Now, we've only got about seven, eight minutes left top. So I've got to read a few comments because there's been so many of them. 2,210 messages have come in. Um, see, a lot, lot of footy fans listen to this show. I don't know why, because <laughs> even though I love my footy, I don't talk about it very often. Uh, Stephen says, Matt says, and questions everything the higher echelons don't like. The oligarchy despises him. Feck him, Matt. I think Matt would agree, and I don't think he's too worried <laughs> about what people say about him these days. Uh, Justine says, Matt is a true light warrior. Thanks very much for coming on, says Justine. Yeah, I echo that. And a number of people. Isabel says, first of all, what an amazing stand-up, honest and courageous man Matt is. He's daughter Maya is a great professional footballer is that right Maya's not related to you no, is she that's, that's a common daughter, misconception man. yeah yeah <laughs> I could have told Isabel that no she doesn't um uh what, what, what I was going to say is a number of people inevitably have said um should football dispense with VAR after the Liverpool Spurs debacle on Saturday what do you reckon well um my my point about VAR is is that it could be a really useful tool if it was if it was actually placed in the hands of uh decent football people 
it's a it's the the concept is good but it's being run by idiots well it's guys like you who should be in the the the, the big lorries or wherever it is they they do it well from. it's funny you should say that because even before var came out we spoke about it on soccer saturday and at that point i said in my opinion there should be an ex-professional footballer in that var room to help and assist with the referees with some of the stuff that goes on on the football pitch that they don't know about yeah it would it makes sense um you know and that was that was even before var came out and now I'm starting to hear people on the radio going, oh, yeah, I need an ex-player in there. And I was like, I was shouting about that three years ago. Three years? Oh, well, well, I do remember those episodes because, like I said, I've never, I don't watch it anymore, but I used to watch it religiously when, when you were on there. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good point. In fact, I used to say years ago is that when players decided that they were going to hang it up, most players are in very good physical condition. Why not offer players the opportunity to do a quick course and become referees? Because I wouldn't care. Um, if I was, you know, watching United against Arsenal, say, and Steven Gerrard was refereeing it, I trust Steven Gerrard's integrity. Yeah, I, He's yeah, not going yeah. to do United because he knows he's not going to do that. But he was a fantastic midfielder like yourself. So, but that never happened. Why did that never happen? That pros didn't win the there was There was a fast track place uh, system put in place for uh, ex-players. Um, but it, it kind of, I think it kind of meant that they still wouldn't have had that many years uh, refereeing at the top level. Um, and so I think that's what put a lot of people off, um, which, yeah, it is a bit of a shame. And I think there's there, there should also be in place, you know, uh, a system for when you get young kids that drop out of the game. So, you know, you've got kids at 19 and 20 who don't get offered a professional contract and, uh, you know, fall out of the game. I think at that point, those kids would be pretty good to get on the path um, uh, because now becoming a referee is is actually a pretty lucrative job. You know, it never used to be in the past, obviously, but they only went professional uh, not too long ago. Um, but it's now, you know, you can make big bucks refereeing. And if there's kids that don't quite make it as a footballer, but they've had a bit of experience in, in professional football, then I think they'd be good ones to go after as well. Very interesting, Matt. We've only got a couple of minutes left. Um, quick question, if VAR had been around when you were running the midfield for Southampton and scoring the first 100 goals by a midfielder in the Premier League, would you have less or more, <laughs> would you have less or more goals than you ended up with? Tell the truth. No oh, lies. That's a, that's a really good point, actually. Well, I, I, I could pretty much say for definite that it would be more goals um, because I was the penalty taker. Yeah. And um, we definitely did not get the... Uh, uh, the rub of the uh, green sometimes when it came to getting big decisions against Old big Trafford. teams, especially when we were away from home. <laughs> yeah. um, and so there were plenty of penalties. Although, to counter that slightly, um, I could probably I could probably count maybe, through maybe two, three or four penalties that I had, um, which were given. And even I thought, blimey ref, that wasn't a pen. <laughs> It wasn't, yeah. But look, as a United fan, I've seen players denied penalties at Old Trafford over the years and I've looked at the person sitting next to me and laughed like a child, you know, thinking that's another yeah, yeah. another hometown decision. There, yeah. Chris the Gardner says, Matt's a legend off and on the pitch. I saw his interview with Oracle Films last year. 
Brilliant, Matt. Thanks for being you. Diane says, Matt's a very articulate guest. As you know, I'm not a fan of ball sports, Richie, or the people who play them, but Matt is very special. I to Colin, who's in Ireland. Uh, great to hear Matt. He was dead right to speak out and sorry he got cancelled. The banter he had with Jeff, Merce, Tomo and Charlie was top-notch viewing. It's a shame Sky got so woke in PC. Um, oh. Thanks for that. And Kelly says, great show today. And now uh, Matt's on. I'm not a football fan, but Matt's a legend. His integrity and courage is even more impressive than his career. That's lovely. Um, we, um, we can close it out there uh, for today. Thanks for your time, Matt. I'll give you the, the, the final word because I always do with my guests and then I don't come back on that. You've already given a positive message about the future. You believe that good will ultimately triumph over over evil. Um, what, what, what have you got going on yourself now in the immediate future and where should people look for you if they want to hear you talk more about these issues? Um, so, yeah, I've got... Um I do a bit of after dinner speaking now as uh, as a means of income, uh, as well as the um, the CBD stuff. Uh, and they can find me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at MattLatis7 uh, on Twitter. And uh, I've got my own website, which is MLT7.com. Uh, I do a weekly newsletter on there, um, which will go into a bit more detail about uh, what I've been up to during the week um, in my life. And you can sign up for that for free or just need a, an email address to register. Um, and yeah, I'll just keep uh, I'll just keep being myself, um, being as as honest uh, as I know how to be, um, uh, try and be as authentic as I can, and just keep trying to change people's minds really, and and wake people up to the fact that there's a there's a lot of nasty stuff going on in this world, and if you don't do something about it, and it can be as simple as do not comply with stupid edicts coming from your government, it can be as simple as that. Um, we can all do something. There's billions of us, and we all, most of us, know that there's uh, there's some nasty stuff going on. So do not comply would be my uh, would be my end message. Lovely way to end it. Our listeners were delighted listening to you this evening. Thanks for your time, Matt. Godspeed to you and uh, top man. Loved it. Thank you. Great to talk to you, mate. Bye for now. Uh, the legendary Matt Letizia live on Tuesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is 10 minutes exactly to the top of the air. Great to hear from Matt. Back with more of your comments and then we'll wrap it up after this. Your body's defences are under constant attack from flu, respiratory diseases and the common cold. Now more than ever, it is essential that you have a robust immune system. And as we all know, vitamin D3 plays an essential role in this. Immunex 365 is our unique formulation that combines effective levels of vitamins D3, C and K2, as well as zinc and quercetin. This unique combination of nutrients ensures efficient bioavailability of D3, thereby giving your immune system an optimum boost. Take back your health with just two capsules of Immunex 365 every day. For your peace of mind, all NutriHealth 365 orders come with free two-day track delivery. Go to NutriHealth365.com to get yours now. That's NutriHealth365.com. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at RichieAllen.co.uk. Welcome back. Thanks for the messages, by the way, that came in uh, during that. Bell has been on to say, I've been diagnosed with MS for over 12 years, along with osteoarthritis. Cannabis oil is the best pain relief giver, along with a bit of acupuncture and mindfulness, says Bell. Yes, I, I, I can't say this for sure, so maybe I shouldn't say it. 
but maybe if you bump into him, you can ask him. But um, you'll know, those of you who read and follow David Icke, you'll know that he's had to deal with rheumatoid arthritis for basically for most of his life and it put paid to a very promising football career because he was a very good goalkeeper back in the day it caused him to retire early I think he's had pretty decent relief at times when it gets pretty tough with the oil I think but don't uh, don't take that one to the bank and I'm fascinated by it because I've only heard from thousands of people over the years who said yeah it's really but, but the problem people tend to have um, is to find the right um if I say retailer, it'll sound wrong, but to find the right source, you know, the one you can trust where it's a, where it's a good product, basically. So, um, yeah, anyway, but uh, yeah, I've heard so many stories over the years. It's interesting, the anxiety element of that, isn't it? And the sleeplessness uh, as well. Very, very interested in that. Uh, Davey came on to say, in a world of Gary Lineker's, be a Matt Letizier. Well, that breaks the internet, that. That's the comment of the day. <laughs> in a world of vacuous, he could have said, flatulent Muppets like Gary Lineker be a Matt Letizia. Yeah, I endorse that as well. And Cookie says, there is another act going through the Parliament at the moment, the Therapeutics Bill. They're going after the good stuff. That's right. And I remember talking on the radio in Spain back in 2010, talking about the European Union assault. Look it up. The European Union in 2009, 2009, 10 and 11 banned hundreds if not thousands of natural remedies. You know, remedies that dated back to ancient China, to the Orient, right? Remedies that people had been using in homeopathy and, 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 uh, and in natural healing. They went after thousands and they did this at the behest of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. And I did mention David Icke. I'll give him another honorary mention because he was one of the first guys who explained to me, even though I knew, I, I was anti-European Union from day one, you know, as a young man. But when I started listening to him and reading his books, he nailed it on the European Union. He said, imagine if the biggest corporations in the world had to make deals with 26 or 27 countries to get their products in there, their dangerous products. He said, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? If you have a sovereign parliament, a sovereign parliament, a sovereign government acting in the best interest of its citizens, it'll be next to impossible, David Icke said, for, for, for those companies with their dodgy, dangerous products to get them into those countries, right? But he said, if you, can you imagine if you create a supranational organisation where the policies for 27 countries are decided by a small group of unelected bureaucrats in Brussels. It then becomes much easier for the nasty pharmaceutical people and other corporations to get their laws, you know, to get their products in front of people. And that was a light bulb moment for me, went off over my head. I said, yeah, that's what it's all about, really. You know, and he was bang on. Uh, Gillian says, I used to get the real deal sent from Peru until the scamdemic customs tightened up. Big Pharma creates customers, it doesn't create patients, says Gillian. Thanks, Gillian. Linda says, 
Um, can you repeat Matt's code on supremecbd.uk? Is it TIS40? Uh, you've caught me there, Linda. I didn't write it down, but it's go, go, to, go to his Twitter. It's on his Twitter account. And the podcast will be online shortly anyway. So just fast forward to that and you'll get it, okay? Um, but I should have written it down, shouldn't I? I should have asked him to repeat it, in fact, but I didn't. So mea culpa. And thanks to Carmel for her kind words. Um, really loved having Leisha De Bruyne on the programme in the first hour. The recently called to the bar uh, Irish uh, woman, uh, fantastic woman doing great work thecountess.ie lovely to hear from Leisha and uh, as a football fan it was great gas and also very important to have Matt Letizia on the programme as well back with you tomorrow Wednesday at 5 o'clock UK time until then it's a bye for me look after yourselves and one another I'm going to go and watch a live football match as it happens I must be out of my tiny mind bye now <laughs>